episode 29. You are now locked in to the CJ Sensword podcast, dedicated to spreading ideas that matter. Your body, your mind, your rules. And now, here is your host, CJ Swaby. Hi guys, how you doing? It's CJ here. <laughs> and I have a special guest on the show with me, and we're currently drinking jasmine green tea which is amazing. So if you hear slurping or tea stuff going on, that's what's happening. Uh, Bethany, I'm here with Bethany, who is a writer, uh, an author, as I said, and a motivational speaker. And she's going to share a little bit about her own personal journey with you guys today and um, what it takes to write your own book and speaking. And welcome to the show, Bethany. Thank you so much, CJ, for having me and for bringing tea as well. (laughs) You're welcome. So, Bethany, for those who don't know you or heard of you name of your book is how should a body be okay um and do you want to tell us a bit about the book the process how you came to write it and about your own journey really i know that's a lot right start with your life yeah it is a lot the book so how should a body be why why that book well i had started uh speaking as a teenager sharing my experiences about living with a progressive neurological disease called CMT. Right. And before I started speaking, I was of the mind that it was really best not to speak about it at all. Yeah. That there was actually a lot of honor in that to keep it a secret um, and to not let it impact me at all. Uh, And then as I started sharing my story, I found that it was actually the opposite. I thought that speaking about it would make it bigger. Yeah. And instead, it actually made it smaller. Was that a surprise for you? Do you, when you say bigger than smaller, do you mean um, for you or for those that you shared your story with? For me, I think I thought that if I spoke it out loud, it would kind of consume my entire identity. Yeah. Um, and instead, it was really a release and saying that, no, I'm taking ownership of this. Yeah. And I also found that I'm not that special. And my experiences aren't that unique. Right, okay. And that other people shared them too. Yeah. And that they found meaning in me sharing my stories. Right. And so the book was sort of the natural progression of that to encapsulate all of them in one little bound package. Sure. I I guess it would have been easy to get caught up in the story that it's just happening to you, right? And it's special to you or even though your situation is unique, but that no one else is going through that. And um, What's the stats? Well, first, do you mind sharing a bit about what CMT is, for those who don't know? Um, and what's the stats on it, in terms of how many people have it? Sure, yeah. it's. Um, they say it's the, rare, the most common rare disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, it affects 1 in 2,500 people. So you've probably met a couple people with CMT. You just might not realize it. Yeah. Um, and it can really vary in severity. It is uh, hereditary, so it's passed down through families. Uh-huh. But you can get it without any family history. Sure. And unfortunately, I was impacted pretty severely um, as a young child. Um, and it progressed by the time I was 18 to having me be in a wheelchair. Sure. Um, and... Uh, Sorry, just totally yeah, no, that's fine. So just um, just to dial it in specific. So in terms of this disease, CMT stands for 
Sharko Marie Tooth. Mm-hmm. And my teeth are fine. <laughs> yeah, people often get confused by that, right? It was named after uh, the three do- doctors, doctors that discovered, discovered it. it. Yeah. Um, so, what, how does that uh, condition present itself? Like on a day to day, how does that impact you? What, what, what does that look like, and how does it progress? So essentially, it means that my nerves are really bad at talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it progresses. Um, it presents itself with muscle weakness. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for me to, you know, pick up a heavy bag. Right. Um, but it also makes it hard to do simple things like, you know, cut vegetables for dinner yeah. or walk across the street. Yeah, right. But yet you still chose to write a book and become uh, a speaker. There'll be, there'll be people, um, as you said, in what is this? To every uh, one in 2,500, right? Correct. Who will have CMT who choose not to write a book or to become a speaker? What, what kind of spurred you want to do that? I wanted to encourage other people to I wanted to show other people that you can write your own story. Yeah. And I don't even just mean in the literal sense of writing it down like I okay. did. Yeah. But that you can take the experiences of your life and give them your own meaning. Yeah. Um, and I've discovered through the process of, of writing my story and speaking and, and through the book that it doesn't have to be a sad story. Sure. About a girl who's progressively getting weaker and who's progressively losing her ability to walk. Yeah. Then instead, there's actually a lot of lessons and a lot of positives in that story. Sure. And that's the story that I want to live and I want to tell. Okay. And what's been fun is, you know, having the book out there, I've gotten feedback from people who've read it. And of course, I hear from people who have my disease and, of course, relate really directly to my stories. But again, I realized that my experiences aren't that special. special. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> and, you know, I've heard from people who are elderly, and they also relate to the idea of losing an ability, mm-hmm. right? And how hard that is, no matter what age you are. Yeah. Um, or I've had, you know, people say that it's helped them to relate to maybe a brother or a sister or a friend uh-huh. who's dealt with some sort of physical loss or challenge. And that's been really rewarding. Okay. And in terms of um, the question I would ask now is, what was the process for you for writing the book? Because there's probably people listening to this who may, may or may not have CMT, but may have like got a book in them. They know they've got a book in them and kind of like, I want to write, or they've got half a book written for the past five years that they've never quite yet completed. Um, what's the process to writing a book and what was the process for you? Um, what did you learn from it? And how did you get it out there? Because book one was self-published, right? Correct. Correct, yeah. So tell us a bit about that whole journey. Writing yeah. it, putting it together. and Well, there's so many different ways to write a book. Mm-hmm. But my process for the first one was to write a list of stories and moments that I thought were really fundamental mm-hmm. to the arc and the journey that I'd been on. Yeah. Um, and I looked at that, I looked at that list and it was pretty clear that there was already a narrative arc there. Okay. Um, and then I just started writing 
from the beginning to the end. I set deadlines. Deadlines are important. <laughs> <laughs> and I was churning out a chapter every week. Wow, okay. And, you know, as I read, I was able to recognize some key themes in the book mm-hmm. and, and continue to draw on those themes as I went and continued writing. Was there ever a time that you were writing it that you thought, mm, this isn't good enough, or you felt stuck in the process? And if you did, what did you do to overcome that? Every day. Well, every day you were stuck in every the process? Every day right? I felt, this isn't good enough, okay. and I'm stuck. <laughs> right. but so how did you turn it around? Um, so I hired a developmental editor, okay. and that was really helpful for the accountability. Yeah. to have some sort of accountability partner so that even if I thought this chapter was just absolute trash, yeah. I had to finish it and I had to get it to her. Yeah. Um, and often her feedback was not the negative things that I was telling myself. Sure, right. It's good to get that objective viewpoint, right? It's really helpful. And um, yeah, to continue writing and not be worrying about, is this perfect right now? But just get the words down. So once you've got it down, you've got the manuscript, what was the next step for you? In terms of getting the book out there and publishing. Because it's one thing to... Because uh, who did you print independently with? Was it an independent publishers? Or I was went Amazon? through Amazon. Okay. Yeah, and their um, KDP and, and CreateSpace. I think it's now all just KDP. Right. Um, and it's... It's actually really simple now to be able to get a book out there that's print-on-demand, Yeah. that's available as a printed piece of work and as a Kindle book. Yeah, so there's no real excuses, right? Not to... No, there's no excuses. Because it used to be to self-publish a book, you had to order like 5,000 copies and and you put out a ton of money. And if you don't sell them, you're just, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, sure. And now, you know, it's all print-on-demand, so I don't have to order any copies ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And they fulfill all the orders right away, which is great. Okay, cool. So now that you've got the book, so you had it, what was the process now in terms of promoting it and getting it out there? Because it's one thing to... Because I, th- I guess for some people it's... You write the book and don't really think about what happens after because you still got to get it out there, still got to sell the copies, you still got to promote the book. So what did you do? And how did you do that? So I had been already growing an audience just on social media, um, telling stories. Yeah. And uh, that was great because I already had a built-in audience of people who enjoyed my stories and wanted more stories. Uh, So that was the first thing, was to have the built-in audience before you've hit publish. Right. Right, so that you can have a really strong launch and sell, you know, several hundred or several thousand copies in yeah. the first couple of days. Sure, um, is ideal to be building up some sort of a list. Yeah, um, ideally not just a social media list, but an email list. Okay, um, of people that have really already been enjoying your content. Cool. And then um, you got into the speaking. Did that help with your book, or did the book help with the speaking? Was uh, that, they was feed it kind into of each other. Okay. Yeah, I I think the book, I think having a book adds a lot of credibility to you. Yeah. No matter what you're doing. What was your like most nerve wracking speaking gig that you've had? Oh, uh, 
It was just last year. I so I've typically spoken to patient groups, okay. people who are struggling with you know a progressive illness like mine, and I was invited to speak to a group of business people and entrepreneurs. Okay. On a ship in Scotland. Okay. And so I said yes because that sounded fun <laughs> and interesting. On a ship, right? <laughs> but I was completely terrified. Right. And I'm sitting in the audience, and they're giving all these like businessy talks, okay. and they're clearly way more accomplished than I am. <laughs> and then I I walk up to the front of the stage, and I've got my little my little notes, okay. <laughs> and I'm literally shaking, holding my notes. Wow. And I have no idea what they were expecting me to talk about. Uh -huh. um, but I started sharing my stories. Okay. About how scared I am to cross the street. Yeah. And I shared stories about how I was in a wheelchair and I've been told my nerves are dead. Yeah. And just the year before I had walked 50 miles. Yeah. And, you know, I tell a lot of really personal vulnerable stories, but it's often a bit of like performative vulnerability sure if that makes sense you tell a story so many times, times that you're not really experiencing it anymore right it's kind of like you've got them in your back pocket ready yeah yeah and this time on the ship i was actually feeling really vulnerable yeah because i felt like these this was not my audience <laughs> <laughs> these people were really intimidating it was yeah. a lot of really successful men the ship is rocking <laughs> so it wasn't actually so docked I, it was literally Okay. It was it was docked, but it was moving enough for me right, to, to be losing my balance and almost <laughs> falling multiple times during the talk. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, but I connected with the material yeah. in a way that I hadn't typically when I'd been speaking. And I was literally, you know, tearing up through some of these stories as I was explaining how really hard it is. Yeah to do these simple things. And at the end, I think it was the best response I'd ever gotten <laughs> to really? a talk. And I had a, I mean, they gave me, you know, a standing ovation and they were so warm. Yeah. And one guy who'd, who'd been a speaker and he was, you know, a very accomplished, like professional development coach yeah. kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. And he came up to me and, and he, he had tears in his eyes yeah. and he was like, you know, I've always been afraid to show vulnerability uh -huh. and watching you now, I feel like that's okay. Yeah. So that was really, that wow. was a cool experience. Wow. Um, what did it take for you to get to a space where you could do that? Because not everybody can show that vulnerability in public. Yeah, well, it wasn't intentional. <laughs> it wasn't intentional that time, right? I really just felt, just felt off that. my game. I yeah. felt really vulnerable and weak in front of them. Yeah. Um, but now, whenever I speak, I try to get to a place of actual genuine vulnerability. Yeah. Because I know that there's such a greater opportunity for connection that way. Yeah. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Um, what would you say have been the two biggest lessons two biggest or what would you say are the biggest lessons that you've learned from uh speaking from writing your book 
and then also from living life with CMT? I would say don't wait for your disease to happen to you. What do you mean by that? That when I was diagnosed with CMT, I it was sort of like, okay, well now you just sit around and wait and you find out if this how bad this is going to be. Right, okay. Right? You really have no choice. It's like you got on the roller coaster and you're strapped in. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do. And now I realize that that's not true that even though there's things I can't control and there's things you can't control, there's also a ton of things we can control. Sure. So I've learned to not just wait for my disease or for life to happen to me, mm -hmm. but to focus on the things right now that I can control sure. and that I want to do. Sure. So taking a proactive approach, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I've also learned to to just find joy and find things that excite me. Uh -huh. uh, I love trying to figure out what exactly this body is capable of. And, you know, for many years that was long distance walking. Sure. Um, you know, going from one mile to seven miles to 50 miles. Yeah. Right now I've really fostered a vision for traveling. Sure. Um, and my goal is to visit at least 30 countries by the time I'm 30. Given the way you age there, we're not going to say what your age is, but <laughs> yeah. No, but cool. I've only got three countries to go. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, cool. So I'm, I'm well on my way. And, um, you know, I've really just appreciated, I'm learning to appreciate the things that I do have. Mm -hmm. And to not say, to not tell myself a story of, I need to be able to walk easily to be happy. Yeah. I need to not have pain to be happy. I need to be able to breathe easily to be happy. Yeah. It's really easy to tell myself those stories and then never be happy. Sure. So I try to tell myself instead that I have everything I need in this moment right yeah. now to be happy. Sure. Very powerful. And who inspires you? I try to inspire me. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> who else? Yeah, who else? a lot of people inspire me. I don't have any um, heroes per se. Yeah. But I'm constantly inspired by qualities in other people. Uh -huh. uh, my husband has the ability to not dwell on thoughts that don't serve him. Mm -hmm. I'm really inspired by that quality. Yeah. Um, I have another friend who I, I recently met in Europe and she lives with a much more severe uh, disability and chronic pain than I do. And she's always able to find the joy in whatever she's doing. Yeah. And she's always fully present with you in the moment. And that really inspires me. So I hope that just as I spend more time around these people that I can integrate their best traits into myself. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Well, um, has there ever been a time in your life where you've both won and lost at the same time? Oh, well, there was a time that I lost and won at the same time. Okay. <laughs> Go. 
Go for it. Tell me about that. I was 22, and this was after I'd had really massive, horrific surgeries on my legs to get out of the wheelchair. Yeah. And so I was walking. Not great, yeah. but I was walking. And I set this goal to walk seven miles and raise $7,000 for the CMT Association. And it was a few days until this walk. I had no idea if I was going to be able to walk seven miles. Right. <laughs> I never had before. Yeah. I had people flying in to support me. It was going to be cake. Clearly. It was a big deal, <laughs> yeah, this right. walk. And you know this because you've walked outdoors with me. Yeah. Even though I can walk and I, and I could walk theoretically seven miles, each step is a little bit of a risk. Sure. Right? My balance is really poor, so if there's a little bit of a wind or there's a rock on the pavement, that's enough to potentially send me sailing yeah. onto the pavement. And I'm especially always scared when I'm crossing a street. And I'm always wondering, you know, what are the, what are the people in the cars thinking? You know, are they, well, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, hurry up, yeah. get out of the road. <laughs> we have places to be. Yeah. And I'm so scared every time I cross the street that I'm going to fall down yeah. and not be able to get back up. And so on this day, I'm walking. I was living in California at the time. I'm walking in downtown Mountain View. And I have to cross the street. And just as I step into the road, a bunch of guys come behind me. They're not paying attention. They're talking. They're probably texting and walking. Yeah. And one of them steps on the back of my shoe. And I just splat. <laughs> hard on the concrete in the yeah. middle of the street and it's not pretty okay like there's blood oh. <laughs> there's blood there's gravel mixed in with the blood on my knee it's yeah. it's really horrible and i am the biggest spectacle there's like now a crowd has formed <laughs> just what you didn't want right exactly literally my worst case scenario <laughs> and a couple of the guys pick me up. I don't even remember that happening, but yeah. I know I must have been picked up. Uh -huh. They carry me over to a bench. Another lady, part of the crowd, uh -huh. <laughs> has band-aids in her purse. Uh -huh. And so she bandages up my knee. A local shopkeeper comes out and gives me a lemonade from their shop. <laughs> and I receive so much kindness yeah. due to my, you know, stumble. And then after that, I went home and, and I took a picture of my bloody knee uh -huh. with a sign that said, Pity Donations Accepted. <laughs> so I raised another $300 that day for charity. Way to pull on people's heartstrings, I like. Exactly. You know, whatever works. I'm sensing the ruthlessness there. But... <laughs> oh, yeah. It's for charity. Yeah, I know. I know. It's all good. <laughs> And five days after that, I completed my seven-mile walk. Awesome. And so even though I lost the gamble that I always take when I cross the street that day, yeah. I now know that what I think is my worst-case scenario probably isn't as bad as I'm making it out to be. Sure. For anything in life. Yeah. It's probably not as bad 
as I'm making it out to be. And if I do fall in the middle of the street, London's a busy street. Yeah. Or London's a busy city. There's probably one nice person. <laughs> That's a gamble. <laughs> that will help you. There's probably a couple nice people who are going to help me up and who are going to get me a bandage and who are going to give me a lemonade. Yeah, cool. And it's going to be okay. Sure. Okay. Um, thank you for sharing, Bethany. Um, we're going to be wrapping up soon. I think, question, question, question for you. What would I say? Um, uh, first, before the final question, we're moving into 2020. What does that hold for you? Oh, more travel. Uh -huh. I think we're going to hit country number 30 in 2020. Okay. Okay. So we'll see. You know, uh -huh. I, I never know what the next chapter holds, but I know that even though there's going to be challenges along the way, that there's also going to be a lot of joy and excitement along the way too. Cool. Thank you. So signing off, people, I usually invite people to leave with a joke or a quote. Whichever one you want to choose is yours. I think I've only ever had one person do a joke on this podcast. So yeah, I'm not suggesting that you should do. I'm just saying joke or a quote that's inspired you or impacted you. No, I think way. you asked for it. What? <laughs> are we doing the joke? Yeah, we're doing the joke. Okay, we're doing the joke. Let's go for it. Let's okay. hear it. Right. You might want to put down your tea because you're going to laugh really hard. Okay, I'm putting down my tea. Here we go. <laughs> okay, what do you get when you crossbreed a shark and a cow? I don't know, Bethany. What do you get? I have no idea, but I wouldn't try to milk it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bethany, thank you for being the only person to take up that challenge. You're welcome. You're welcome. Cool. Uh, Twitter handle, website, and all that kind of stuff, and Insta, um, Facebook, what are they? If people want to check out what you do, or even check out your book, share. Yeah, my website is just my name, bethanymalosh.com. And uh, so is my Instagram and my Facebook page. And I would certainly love to connect with all of you. Cool. Thank you for your time, Bethany. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Cool.